it's time for a little taste So, I just watched In the Mood for Love. Um, but first, on this disc in the World of One Card Y Criterion Collection box set, um, there is also a short film from the same year, 2000, that Wong Kar Wai made that I have not seen before. And it's basically a compilation of archival footage from, I believe, yeah, Hong Kong cinema's past. And it looks like he went into the Hong Kong film archive and assembled about two and a half or so minutes of old uh, film. And he picked, I mean, a lot of stuff, a lot of visuals that you can, I don't know, you can see made an impression on him to some degree, or at least it's representative of some of what he recreates in his movies. And I think the intention was sort of a trip to pay tribute to the forgotten old Hong Kong cinema. And I don't know the history of that or how forgotten it really is, but forgotten at least I'm sure in the sense that, you know, everyone focuses on what's new. Right. And He has in a number of his films set things in the past, right? And uh, many of the eras or times of his movies settings are reflected in in this archival footage. So it's cool to see because you can see that movies, maybe these clips, but movies like the clips of these obviously made an impression on him at some point. And he's, he's brought some of this imagery back in his own movies over time. And that's especially evident in the movie I just watched in the mood for love, which is his easily his most well-known film. And it's the movie that brought him to my attention. Um, which I did see around the same time it it came out or right when it first had its original uh, home video release in the States. I saw it as part of a class in school, uh, in college. And it sort of, (laughs) well, it, it introduced me to Wong Kar Wai and it changed, had something to do with changing the way I looked at film and not just him, but, he was part of that. Some of the other, uh, there was especially, uh, I mean, we, I did a film sort of art of the director class. And I think this movie might've been a part of that. And the focus was on uh, films where there's clearly a auteur type vision involved, where you can tell sort of that who the director is just by watching the movie kind of movies. And it was that over time, especially uh, with a a special focus on really international cinema, although it wasn't completely that. And then the second class I took relative to film was um, an Asian film class, as I recall. So through those two classes, those things, they changed the way I looked at movies 
or film. And it turned me into a little bit of a film snob for a while, which I eventually got over. But, um, and one of the uh, most memorable movies from that period of time was this one. This stuck with me hard and it sent me down a rabbit hole looking for everything else he made. And there were a couple other directors from that time period uh, as well. Uh, Yasujiro Ozu from Japan and Takashi Miike from Japan and Takeshi Kitano beat Takeshi from Japan. Those were the ones that stuck with me the hardest in general to a degree. Oshima as well. Also Japanese. Most of this was Japanese um, that stuck with me, but there were some other Hong Kong slash Chinese stuff too. So this did obviously. And uh, I think we had some Choi Huck in, in there, but I don't remember what the rest of it was at, the, at this time. So th that's most of what stuck with me really. And uh, so moving forward, uh, this movie, this version of it, I think there's a color turned up. So, so there's a slight color difference, but honestly watching the movie, it's just as beautiful and luxurious as I remember. And maybe the only reason it doesn't hit me as hard as I've seen it plenty of times, it leaves such an impression like you just don't have to, I don't even have to watch the movie. I can just see it in my dreams or see it in my brain if I think about it. So it wasn't as striking this time, but it's beautiful. And I think I've kind of had that experience with most of these, but by the end, there's always a moment at the end, like a music cue or something. And every one of these movies pretty much where it all clicks back into place completely. And it's like, Oh, there it is. Even if it's eluded me for the whole movie up until that point. And I've not that I didn't enjoy it. It's just, you know, I've seen them before. I know, I know, you know, I know what's coming. I know, you know, the element of surprise or discovery isn't there anymore. Although to some degree it is, but it's just feels so familiar and comfortable. All of these, but especially this one. And it's a beautiful experience and whatever. I don't know if there are changes beyond the color, but it does not hurt the movie. It, it looks just as beautiful, if not more so than ever. So the other uh, Blu-rays out there, if you really are hung up on <laughs> the change. So I'd say let it go personally. Um, and I don't even know if anyone has a real problem with that, but I did see one comparison shot where the pattern on Maggie Chung's dress was less, uh, it stood out less and that they are very, very beautiful dresses, but it was one shot and one comparison when you're watching the movie, it, it doesn't seem, you know, it's only in comparing the two versions that you can notice that watching the movie, it's all stands out just as much as it ever did. So if there's a little more green or whatever is in there that washes out some of the other colors, uh, I don't know. It looks it doesn't look like anything bad happened to me. So beautiful movie. I think this movie hits you harder if you're having 
a trouble in a relationship or no relationship potentially. And a lot of his movies are like that. Like if you're not having relationship problems, it's more like a memory of stuff you dealt with in the past than stuff you're dealing with right now. If you are, I think they tend to hit a little harder. Yeah. But you can certainly remember it or, you know, nothing's perfect. You know, I'm sure uh, there's some kind of trouble, right, that you can latch it on to. (laughs) So anyway, enough of that. Okay. So next up, I have 2046. And if there is a short film on, there should be, I believe there is going to be a short film on that disc. I will, uh, I will speak to that as well. So I'll be right back. Well, I just watched 2046 and, um, I also watched as expected. There was a short film here. It's called the hand. It was part of a anthology movie called Eros. Uh, and this is, I guess, expanded somewhat. It's under just about an hour long and it's called the hand. Now, um, I believe it actually is the backstory of a character that pops up in 2046. And it doesn't fully explain the mystery of that character, but I think it gives you enough to give you a better idea of what might be going on with her. Excuse me. And uh, it is an excellent example of Wong Kar Wai just knowing what he's doing and at a, you know, on a sort of less ambitious level. So if you're going to watch the hand, if you have this set, um, it probably makes sense to watch it before 2046, to be honest. Of course, that tacks an extra hour on. Ultimately, uh, it isn't a necessary thing to watch, but it is very good. So if you like his stuff, why wouldn't you? I'll leave it there. <laughs> I'll leave the rest for you to discover should you choose to do so. So 2046, I, to the best of my knowledge, I've seen this once before. I have it on DVD and I know I watched it once and I remember watching it once. But I don't remember being, let's say, affected by it. Or I remember it being, yeah, this is this is Wong Kar Wai. It's just not, not. Uh, I don't know. It's not quite fully there. Is how I felt about it at the time. This time I had a completely different experience. And honestly, I just came away from this movie feeling like at the moment, it's my favorite Wong Kar Wai movie. And I did not expect that to happen. The main reason being, I think, is since I have watched just about everything, minus Ashes of Time, leading up to this, like in a row, and then 2046, um, it just 
feels like, whether it was intentional or not, it feels like an amalgamation of everything he has done up until that point. And it feels like a lot more than just a sort of sequel to In the Mood for Love, which it definitely is. And I could see it much more clearly now than before. It's definitely the same character, lead male character, played by Tony Long from the uh, In the Mood for Love. But he's just become a very different person because of his experience in the mood of in the mood for love and his character, what he goes through in that movie. I mean, it's like in the mood for love breaks him and he becomes this much more cynical, detached person. And, you know, he's become a, um, like he, he continues the whole serialized writer thing, but he's gone down the road of the easier money, uh, which is more like romance or yeah, basically romance serials rather than martial arts ones. (laughs) So, you know, porn more or less, right. It would be the equivalent to some degree. (laughs) Um, girl porn, I guess is what that people call romance novels sometimes. So sort of something like that, you know, it's not the way we understand porn now a day is really, but Hey, and, um, and I don't know, like basically he had an experience with a woman, uh, or really just with another person that broke him. And I mean, I don't know if it completely broke him, but it just, it just changed his attitude towards love, probably, right? And I think most of us, I know I <laughs> can relate to that uh, very well. Not, you know, it's not as nice and neat as movies can be where it's one person and one experience and boom, that was the thing. But, but I can relate nonetheless. And it's sort of his journey back from that place in a way. Uh, you could argue that anyway. And the even the film's title is a reference to the room number that was used in In the Mood for Love, where him and Maggie Chung's character sort of collaborated on the martial arts serial and where where they really sort of fell for each other where they went, you know, these very happy times, even though it wasn't um, apparently anyway, a sexual relationship and in the mood for love, he very much fell for her. Right. And maybe she did to some degree, maybe not. I mean, that's left to be pretty ambiguous, but he did. And then he just didn't uh, seal the deal or make anything out of it. Right. He, Right. He made, it's a big regret, I think, in his life, right? And in the mood for love. And they kind of show you that and they show how he deals with that at the end. And all of those things come into play in 2046 and get expanded on. So it's really awesome. And not only is it a pretty satisfying sequel, uh, minus, you know, the ending doesn't 
clinch it off um, the way you might want it to. And, you know, I could take that in a couple ways. Uh, one, hey, this is one car. Why? I mean, it's not going to be a standard story. So you're not necessarily going to get the clean, happy ending, although he's done more satisfying endings than this one. And also potentially, I mean, there's potentially more story for this character, right? So I don't know if he'll ever revisit or not, or if it was ever a thought to do it or not, but I would personally welcome that. Um, If there is more to say there or not, I don't know. Because in a way it does, there is an ending here, so it doesn't need it. But he didn't go for like the emotional gut punch sort of ending. Like Chunking Express has a line at the end that really ends it well, right? Uh, and this has a moment like that. It just doesn't land quite the same way. Because you're hoping, I think you're hoping he he somehow actually goes talks to Maggie Chug's character or something again, right? I think that's like part of what you're hoping for, at least for me. And you don't really get that, but you do get him sort of recovering from it better and moving on. So I, I more or less. So that's also satisfying in a way and more realistic and less movie nonsense. So maybe it's nothing to complain about. I don't know. I'm not complaining really. So when all said and done, I think there's a few ways you could approach this box set or just his movies in general. If you haven't watched them, uh, my personal recommendation is just go for it. Uh, start at the beginning and go for it as the tears, as tears go by, go for it. Um, that's not what most people would do. So I admit uh, maybe that's, and that's not even what I did, but I didn't know to try to do that. It would be an enjoyable way to do it if you know you want to just go ahead and watch everything. <sighs> just watch everything, including the stuff that's not in here, um, which up until this point is just Ashes of Time, which is complicated because there's multiple versions and the theatrical original version is very difficult to get a hold of, though I'm sure there are uh, ways to secure that should you want to. Um, <clears throat> but the Redux version's out there and relatively easy. So you can get at least one version of it. Hopefully that gets a good release with both versions at some point. But that one is not really as necessary if you're looking for the experience I just had leading up to 2046. Really, all you need to do, <clears throat> Days of Being Wild is sort of an important movie to watch. Um, it's ultimately skippable, but I would still watch it if you, if you really want the full experience, <clears throat> minus having to watch everything. And then from there, you really want to watch Chunking Express and Fallen Angels back-to-back, and then you want to watch In the Mood for Love in 2046 back-to-back. Alternatively, you could, uh, you know, you could cut out Chunking Express and Fallen Angels and just watch Do Days of Being Wild and In the Mood for Love in 2046. And that's the sort of trilogy 
but I, I really don't recommend doing that, honestly. Um, because there's enough going on in 2046. It feels like filmmaking style wise, like he changed a little bit going into in the mood for love. And then 2046, like reintegrates some of the elements from his earlier stuff back in. And so it feels like a summation. So skipping the early stuff entirely, I mean, and by early stuff, I don't mean days of being wild. I mean, his early, like fully realized stuff, which would be more chunking express and fallen angels. Uh, skipping that would be a mistake. I think, because those are two <laughs> of the strongest movies in here and happy together is really, really well worth it too. It's just not as important. Although there is some connective tissue acting actor wise. So I would, uh, I don't recommend skipping that one at all, <clears throat> but yeah, it's hard. So, so you either go full like whole hog or you maybe just do chunking express fallen angels and in the mood for love and, and 2046. Um, and if you're really going to be difficult and, and not, uh, you know, not play ball, I'd say Chunking Express and In the Mood for Love are the two most important movies to watch, but you're missing out if that's all you watch. And between those two, if you're just going to pick one, I think the standard answer is In the Mood for Love, but I prefer Chunking Express slightly, so good luck making that decision. And uh, the good news is you don't have to, really. <clears throat> So, so moving on from this, uh, I finished this box set more or less, at least the movies and the films. I haven't gone through all the special features yet, but I've touched on a little bit. I'm undecided if I'm going to rewatch the other three movies of his, I have access to them. They're just not newer versions and they're not pretty as pretty as all of this. So. I don't know. I will. I don't know if I'm going to do it immediately. Put it that way. Um, and I'm not totally sure where I'm headed next. Although I do have one uh, request hanging out there. So maybe I'll do that. We'll see. So for now, that's that. And until next time, when I watch something else, good night. Thanks for listening. 